thank you guys again for joining us here at Every Nation Church Las Vegas. Um, really appreciate your presence. We hope that God speaks to you and meets you in a powerful and personal way. Uh, we want to send love from Pastor Roland and his family. They're not feeling well, so they can't be with us today, but they do love us. And uh, he says his greetings. Um, and I'm excited because not only did the women get to have mugs and muffins, but I hear a paintball event is in the works for the men. So that's going to be awesome. Let's do manly things. We sweat and run and shoot each other with paint. But the whole point of that is because we as a church value relationships with God and then with each other. Like my wife said, none of us are called to follow God alone. And we'd love to walk with him together with you. So please connect to us. Life group leaders, say what's up. Talk to one of those people. We'd love to help you get connected um, and see all of the great things that God has in store for you with you. Now, we're starting a brand new series called Generous. For the first time, talking about a giving series here at Every Nation Church, Las Vegas. Um, and it's all about what the Bible has to say about money. And even when this subject comes up, I'm bothered and challenged by it because sometimes there are things that I see that I want. For example, I'm walking back into the theater today and I'm carrying the worksheets for the youth who left right after worship ended. And wouldn't you know, zooming past me, not zooming, he's, he's going at a good speed, is my guy, Aljay. Is Aljay in here? There he is. So Aljay rolls in on his motorcycle looking like a cool rider. It's a Grease 2 reference. Anybody get that reference? It's a song. Cool rider. Okay. So he looks awesome. And a bunch of the other guys in the church are starting to ride motorcycles too. And I see them on motorcycles and I'm like, I want that. Just as a man, it feels right. The speed, the mobility, the power. Unfortunately, I am not willing to fulfill the premise of riding a motorcycle, which is buying a motorcycle or getting a motorcycle license. And I'm not willing to undergo the process, which is learning to ride a motorcycle. I don't even know if I can ride a bike anymore. They say you never forget. I don't know if they have ever met me. And the last time I tried to ride a moped, which is also supposedly like riding a bike, couldn't do it, fell on my side, skimmed my knee, not about that life. So I'm not willing to fulfill the premise or the process. And of course, I turn on the TV or I jump on YouTube and there are advertisements everywhere for the movie Black Adam. He's a DC superhero, anti-hero, kind of. Anyway, Black Adam is starring The Rock. Now, men. Who doesn't want to look like The Rock? Right? If you smell what The Rock is cooking. The problem, however, is I'm not willing, I can't fulfill the premise. I don't have those genetics. I can never be The Rock. I can only be the pebble. And on top of that, I'm not willing to undergo the process. I'm not willing to eat like The Rock, because I'm sure he eats very well, aside from his cheat meals. To be fair to myself, he has private chefs and I don't. Maybe I would be willing. Right now, I'm not willing to eat like The Rock. I'm not willing to work out like The Rock and lift three times my body weight at 4.30 in the morning. I'm also not willing to take whatever supplements he's taking. I won't do the premise or the process. But some of those things are unattainable or unrealistic. Some things are attainable and realistic, like having a brand new office chair. Now, my wife, Jerrica, does a lot of work from home, and because of that, she was able to buy an office chair from work. If Jerrica got a new office chair, that means I got a new office chair. And it looks awesome, right? You've got the dimensions there. It's lightweight. You can see through it. It looks modern and sleek. 
when this came in, I was very excited about it. <coughs> Excuse me. Very excited. So it's in our office right now. In pieces. In a box. And the box is still sealed. Because I'm not willing to put it together. I might want the office chair. But the premise is I take it out and put, put it together. That's the process. So there are these things that I want. But there are premises and processes, and I'm not willing to fulfill those things. And the reason why I talk about that is because we hear and see the promises of God. And we as Christians look at those promises and say, I want that. I want God to do that for me. But wouldn't you know it, the promises of God also have premises attached to them. They also have a process attached to them. And are we willing to do what it takes to fulfill the premise and go through the process so that we can unlock and release the power and the promises of God in our life. That's what we're going to be talking about today. The title of the sermon is Promise, Premise, and Process. But join me first as we pray. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to gather together in your presence and honor you and hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts in a way that only you can. Help us, Lord, to open ourselves up to receive from you so that you can change us from the inside out, make us more like Jesus, and release more of the promises of Jesus in our lives too. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in our lives and in our service this morning. In your name, amen. Amen. I think every believer would agree with me that we want the promises of God. We want God's promises, don't we? When we read God's promises in his word, when we hear about them, we get excited. Something happens in our spirits. So we're going to look at some of God's promises today, and our main text is going to come out of the book of Philippians. Now, Philippians, uh, the church in Philippi, they had sent a gift to the Apostle Paul, and Paul writes them a thank you note. It's a nice thing to do. And as he writes a thank you, he also begins to encourage them, and he encourages them on the basis of the promises of God. Now, Philippians is awesome because it reads like a greatest hits album of the promises of God. Some of our favorite promises from God are to be found here in a book. Anybody own a uh, Greatest Hits album? OJ, what do you have? Greatest Hits of? Johnny Cash, Bon Jovi. DJ, I know you got one, bro. What do you have? Michael Jackson, Greatest Hits record. I have the CD. I want the record, though. See, after church, we we beat it, right? Beat it because no one wants to be defeated. Didn't work. Thank you. Thank you, Maverick. I appreciate you, brother. So we've got these greatest hits. So let's go to the greatest hits of the promises of God that we find in Philippians. Because one of the promises that God makes to us is about God's plan. Say God's plan. God's plan. Not Drake talking about Jesus. Uh, Philippians 1.6. My wife quoted it earlier. God speaks to us at the same time, I guess. It said, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Everyone is made with this God-given sense of purpose. We want to live a life of meaning. We want to live a life of significance. We want to make a difference. And as Christians, we understand that this sense of purpose comes from God. So we want to fulfill the plan of God in our lives. But it's inevitable, just like any road trip, just like any journey, that along the way, there's going to be a point at which we get stuck, at which we get delayed, or distracted, or denied, and we can't help but wonder whether or not we can still fulfill the call of God on our lives. Whether there's enough time to make it happen. 
whether we've gone too far off track. Am I the only one who's ever felt that way? So we find ourselves in this position, and we can't help but ask that question. But Paul writes this promise from God as a jolt of confidence. And he says, the story isn't over. God is still writing. God is going to finish what he started in you. And when we have this promise from God, we have the faith we need. If we know that God is still working on his purpose in our lives, then we'll keep walking with him. And sometimes we need that kind of promise. And this promise for God's plan to be worked out, it doesn't just belong to us as individuals, but it also belongs to us as a body, as a body of Christ, Christians around the world, even as a local body, as a church. Every nation, church, Las Vegas, God is not done with us yet. God is still moving forward. God is still pressing forward. He's going to bring his plans for us through to fruition. The word of God does not return void. God promises that he'll fulfill his plan in our lives. And not only does God promise to fulfill his plan in our lives, he also promises his power. Power sounds good. And so does one of the most famous scriptures in the Bible. We talked about the Michael Jackson collection. This is Thriller. Philippians 4.13 says, For I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How many of you like that promise? The belief that we can do all things through Christ. Amen? A lot of times when we quote Philippians 4.13, we think about the mountaintop, the victory, the championship. It's no wonder we think about athletes a lot of the time. Athletes love this scripture. I think we have a picture of some of them. You got Tim Tebow, John Jones. John Jones has it tattooed. He's a UFC champion. Now, I wish he didn't get into so much trouble. But it's tattooed there on his shoulder. And we got our boy Tim Tebow, former NCAA champion. It's written on his eye black to give God the credit whenever we win. But Philippians 4.13 is not just about the times that we win. It's also about the times that we lose. And I don't want to go too far ahead in the message, but this is also written to encourage us in times of difficulty, in times of hardship. So the promise of Philippians 4.13 is not just about the power of God to excel, but it's also about the power of God to endure. And times, sometimes we will excel after we endure. But whether we need to excel or endure, or excel and endure, God promises to strengthen us through Christ and help us do that. It's a promise of God. He promised to give us his power. And of course, a lot of us love this promise of God's provision. Another one of God's promises, just a few short scriptures down in Philippians 4. This is verse 19. Paul wrote, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Who here has some needs? Right? And we've got a lot of different needs. We've got spiritual needs. We've got emotional needs. We've got physical needs. We've got practical needs. We've got financial needs. But this promise of God said, in case I'm not reading it wrong, that my God will supply every need of yours. Isn't this an incredible promise? God promises, because he's a good father with the power to do it, he will supply every single need of ours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now the catch is, God might not agree with us on what a need is. For example, God said, go, or Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we see the Great Commission 
and we might think to ourselves, okay, I'll go. Send me, Lord. I need an airplane. I have to fly there. We don't need an airplane. We just need a plane ticket. Godliness with contentment is great gain. God will supply for all of our needs. Last night I was hanging out with a few of the guys. Eric was there and he was telling me a story about how God met one of his needs this week. Because he had taken the boys to jujitsu, And as he was getting ready to leave, the car wouldn't start because the battery had run out. And being prepared, if you know Eric, he's prepared. He had a charger with him. So he plugs up the charger. And the charger did not have enough juice for the battery. So now you're frustrated, right? Because whenever we have a plan and we're prepared and it doesn't work out the way we wanted, things go off track, we think, God, what's going on? So Eric prays and he asks God for help. And he doesn't know what to do. So he continues to walk because we walk by faith. And he walks two or three cars down back towards the kids' jujitsu studio. And wouldn't you know it, he just walks a few cars over and he sees two cars and one of them is jump-starting the other. And he asks the guy who's jump-starting the other car, hey, can I get some of that when you're done? And the guy helps him, and he's on his way. My God will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. If we go to God, then he will meet all of our needs in his way and his timing. These things are incredible promises from God. We want God to fulfill his plan in our lives. We should want God to fulfill his plan in our lives. We should want God to empower us to live for him. We should want God to provide for all of our needs. However, God doesn't just pass them out like a giveaway. God is the Alpha and the Omega, not the Oprah. You get a promise, and you get a promise, and you get a promise. Uh, you all get a promise. But we all get a premise too. There is a premise that must be fulfilled in order for us to experience the promise. That's the next point. God's promises often have a premise. And the premise here with these three promises in particular in Philippians is sacrifice. Not as excited anymore. Sacrifice. It's not as spooky as that, I promise. The word premise first, though. Is it refers to the idea that there's something that must first be fulfilled in order for the rest to follow. It's like there is a condition that must first be true and fulfilled by our lives in order for us to experience the promises of God. Now, that's not true about all of God's promises. Brief aside, some of God's promises have no conditions attached to them because God has accepted full responsibility to fulfill it no matter what. Those promises are called covenants. When Adam and Eve rejected God and betrayed him in the, God of e in the Garden of Eden on behalf of all mankind, God made a covenant to send someone to fix that relationship. And we know that someone is Jesus Christ. When God flooded the earth to purge it of evil, and the, land, and the flood dried up and the land was seen again, God made a covenant with Noah that he would never flood the earth again. DJ mentioned it earlier in our meeting today that God made a covenant with Abraham that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That was a covenant. And God was determined to fulfill it no matter what. When God says, I'm going to do it all, that's a covenant. And that promise from God has no condition. For by grace are you saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, let any man should boast. Covenant. Covenant. <clears throat> 
if we place our faith in Jesus, which is not an action, it's a heart decision, he'll fulfill the rest. That's covenants. But the rest of God's promises, they have premises. There is something that must first be fulfilled by us in order for us to experience the promise. <laughs> for example, one of the, uh, the promises we're not covering or focusing on today is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with thanksgiving and prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Promise, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Premise, don't be anxious, pray with thanksgiving. There is a premise that must first be fulfilled in order for us to experience the promise of God. <clears throat> and the, promise, the premise for the three promises that we covered in the first part of the message today, it's all over the book. It's sacrifice. Paul is writing about his own sacrifice in Philippians 1, verses 12 and 13. Let's read it. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. What's he talking about here? Paul is in jail. Paul wrote the book of Philippians while in jail under constant supervision by Roman centurions and soldiers. And he's doing it for the gospel. He didn't do anything wrong. He's telling people about Jesus. And he knew that he'd be imprisoned. And yet he went forward in sacrifice anyway. It's a sacrifice. And as Paul continued on in the book, I believe it's around the point of chapter 3 or so, Paul writes about Timothy, who he's going to send to the Philippians. And Timothy, as he journeys, will make a sacrifice. And Paul writes about the Philippian church member, Epaphroditus. <coughs> I love that name. If I ever have a son, I'm going to name my son Epaphroditus. Great biblical name. Very strong. No idea what it means. So Epaphroditus is the person who carried the financial gift of support from the Philippian church to Paul. That journey back then is a lot harder than it is today. So he would have traveled on roads that were infested with robbers. He would have traveled by sea, which was a treacherous journey. And somewhere along the way, Paul uh, Epaphroditus got sick. So sick, in fact, that he almost died. So in order to fulfill this promise from the Philippian church to Paul and pass on this gift of support, and in order to further the kingdom of God, Epaphroditus almost had to give his life. He made a sacrifice for the kingdom of God. And this theme of sacrifice is present throughout the entire book of Philippians. It's impossible to read Philippians and not see the promises of God. And it's also impossible to read the book of Philippians and not see sacrifice throughout the book. The entire thing. Thank you for sacrificing a moment so I could drink my water. But most importantly, we understand that our faith is built on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And Paul, Paul writes about this powerfully and poetically in Philippians 2. The notes will have 5 through 8 or so. I'll just start in verse 3. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do nothing out of self... I switched those two. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, count others as more significant to yourselves. Let each of you look, no, look not 
to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's the order. In other words, sacrifice. Sacrifice your ambition. Sacrifice your agenda. Sacrifice your preferences. Make a sacrifice. And then Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, held on to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Paul is saying here, sacrifice as Christians because your Christ sacrificed for you. Our Christ, our Savior, the Son of God, left his comfort in heaven. He forfeited his right to be equal to God in authority and nature and power. And he came down to be born in human form, to live the life that we were supposed to live, holy and sanctified and sinless before God. Then to die the death that we were supposed to die in our place for our sin. To be, to be punished like a criminal when he had done nothing wrong. It's a sacrifice of Jesus. It's a sacrifice that he made for all of us. And it's because Christ made a sacrifice for us that we also sacrifice as we follow him. If you have chosen to follow Jesus, then you have chosen to follow him into sacrifice. It's the only option. Congratulations. You should have read the terms and conditions first. It's in there. We have to sacrifice like Jesus because we can't become like Jesus until we sacrifice like Jesus. It's impossible to be like Jesus until we sacrifice like him. Jesus left comfort behind in heaven. So we need to become uncomfortable sometimes. Jesus loved us when we didn't deserve it. So we need to love people who are difficult to love. And we need to love people when they don't deserve our love. And when they're difficult with us, love your neighbor and your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus gave freely. Hi, Astrid. That's my daughter. <clears throat> Jesus gave freely. We need to learn how to give too. We become like Jesus to sacrifice. But thankfully... Following Jesus doesn't end with sacrifice because we know how the story ends, don't we? We concluded reading in verse 8. Let's pick up in verse 9. <coughs> it says, after Jesus humbled himself by obedience to the point of death on a cross. Verse 9, therefore, God has highly exalted him, giving him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord according to the glory of God the Father. After sacrifice comes victory. And in Christ, sacrifice is the pathway to victory. And if we will become like Christ in his sacrifice, then we'll become like Christ in his victory. And it's along that pathway to victory that we find the promises of God. So we can't experience the promises of God unless we sacrifice first. How is it even possible to identify with Jesus who gave everything until we give up a little bit too? 
We need to sacrifice. It is an important and indispensable part of the Christian life. There's no other option. There's no other way to become like Jesus. So what's that mean? Sacrifice is extremely broad. Infinite applications because sacrifice looks different for each of us in all of our lives. There are different ways to sacrifice. We can sacrifice our time, our energy, our thoughts, our emotions, our finances. We can sacrifice to different degrees. So in this season, we all have to come before God and process with others along the way and figure out what sacrifice looks like to each of us. The caveat that I'll attach to that, though, is that it's probably going to have to make us a little bit uncomfortable. Because if it's completely comfortable, it's really hard to call that a sacrifice. But if we choose to become like Christ in his sacrifice, then we will become like Christ in his victory. And on the way to victory, we will start to experience the promises of God. And as each of us considers what that looks like to us as individuals, there is one way that we are called to sacrifice together. And we know this because God has called almost all of his people to sacrifice in this way throughout history. And that's in giving. The promises of God are fulfilled by the premises of God. And that premise of sacrifice almost always includes a process. And that process of sacrifice involves giving. Throughout history, God has used sacrificial giving to release his plan, his power, and his provision into the lives of his people. And we're about to see it's true in the Old Testament, it's true in the New Testament, and it's true even now. In fact, the three promises of God that we quoted earlier, the greatest hits of the promises of God that we love throughout Philippians, all of them are linked in some way to giving. Let's look at it. Paul wrote the book of Philippians to thank the Philippian church there for their financial partnership in sending him out to, pre to spread the gospel. So let's go back to this promise of God in Philippians 1.6, but instead of reading it by itself, we'll now read it with verse 5 included. Philippians 1.5 says, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The partnership in giving was linked to the completion of the plan of God in their lives. For whatever reason, God has always used the giving of his people to further his plans. And it's obvious in, the sake, in, in, in regards to his kingdom, right? We think about the building of the tabernacle. As the children of Israel were journeying throughout the wilderness... For 40 years, they needed a place to worship and a place to meet with God. They build the tabernacle of gold and silver and bronze and acacia wood, the most beautiful things that they had. And God, who spoke the world into existence, could have said, let there be a tabernacle. But instead, God told Moses, go ask the people. Because in asking the people, God gave the people a place to contribute and make a difference. Fast forward a few hundred years into the building of the temple with David starting to gather the materials and Solomon commissioning it. God again could have said, let there be a temple in Jerusalem. Didn't do that. God told David and Solomon, ask the people because he wants to include his people 
in the furthering of his plans for his kingdom. God has always used people to further his kingdom agenda. This entire letter from Paul, the book of Philippians, is an example of the New Testament. Churches partnering in the gospel to further the kingdom of God, but it's not just about the kingdom of God. Somehow, giving also unlocks the plan of God in our own lives. We mentioned Abraham and Isaac earlier. There came a point in which Abraham was told by God to offer his only son, who, by the way, was essential to the fulfillment of God's promise on the altar. And Abraham, in faith and obedience, chooses to offer his son. So they climb a mountain, and Abraham builds an altar, and he's prepared to sacrifice his son, except God's not really down with human sacrifice. He never wanted God to sacrifice his, or he never wanted Abraham to sacrifice his son. It was a test. This is only a test. So as Abraham raises up his knife to sacrifice his son, God stops him and says, Stop! Because you've been willing to give me your son, your only son, I'm willing to give you everything that I've promised you. And God provides another sacrifice. He finds a ram in the bush. By the way, side note, this is where Abraham looks at that and says, this is the mount of which God will provide in Hebrew, Jireh. That's where Jireh comes from. Abraham was willing to give the thing that was his son. And then God showed up as the God who always provides. And then because Abraham was willing to release what he had in his hand, God was willing to release everything he had in his hand. And he reaffirmed his covenant with Abraham. And the rest is history. The nations of the world have been blessed now and forever because he gave. The plan of God was released in his personal life. In the New Testament, we see Jesus conversing with a young man who's done everything right. And then as the final test, Jesus says, go then, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. He didn't do it. But it was a test to see whether or not we were willing to give up what was in our hands to fulfill the plan of God. And I don't know that scripture explicitly tells us why God chooses to test us sometimes in this manner and connect it to his plan and purpose for our lives. But I do believe it's a test of stewardship and trust. That if we are willing to trust God with what we have, then God is willing to trust us with what he has. And I can tell you from experience that what God has is a thousand times better than whatever we have for ourselves. It's better. It's the promise of God. It's part of the process. Giving is also connected to the promise for God's power in Philippians 4.13. A lot of us know this already. But let's read Philippians 4.13 again with verse 11 and 12 attached to it. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Learning to be content with a little and a lot is part of the process of releasing the power of God to endure and excel in our lives. And giving teaches us how to be content and trust God. It develops a heart that's able to endure 
and to excel. In the case of Philippians 4.13, one of the most famous promises in the Bible, giving is a part of the process. And we can experience this great promise of God that's alive and active today to endure, to excel, to be empowered. As we give and as we sacrifice for God. Of course, most directly, we can find this part of the process giving connected to Philippians 4.19. So let's read that one again with verses 15 and down attached to it. Verse 15, And you Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's the context of the promise of God that he will provide for all of our needs. And we love this promise. We love this idea that God will supply for every single one of our needs. But did you know that this promise was only made to one church in the New Testament? It was only made to the Philippians because it was only the Philippians who partnered with Paul in the furthering of the gospel and gave to him consistently. And God made his promise to them that made the advancement of his kingdom possible on a regular basis. And the Philippians did this out of their hearts of goodwill. They'd never received this promise when they started. They were giving to Paul when he left because they understood, hey, my life has been changed by Jesus. It's good that I give so other people can experience the same thing. In my giving, I'm going to make a difference that lasts now and forever. I'm going to give. And this guy, Paul, he has blessed me. I'm going to bless him too. So they had this value to give, living out the words of Jesus, because it's more blessed to give than to receive, before they ever received the promise from God of what they'd get in return. They saw the value in that giving. So their hearts were moved and in joy and love they gave. And now as a brief aside to those of you who call Every Nation Church Las Vegas home, we have the opportunity to do that as Philippians to our Paul. Backstory. When this church was planted in chaos in 2017, Pastor Roland left his career, he left his job to step up and lead this church full-time as a pastor. Pearl Sai Church in Hawaii, from which we have guests today. Great to see you guys. They became our sending church once again, our mother church. And as a mother church, they provided. And they went above and beyond the call of duty, doing more than most churches will do for a church plant. Part of that meant that for the last four years, they have paid 100% of Pastor Roland's salary. All of it. 
we've never had to carry that burden as a local church. And because we've never had to carry that burden, we've been able to bless the community. We've been able to expand our outreaches. We've been able to invest in the next generation. But the mother has other duties. Think of a mother bird that watches its babies grow up in a nest. And when it's time, and when that baby's mature, the mother gently pushes that baby out of the nest and watches it fall so that it can fly because it knows it's ready. And in order for it to go further and fly farther, faster, it has to be independent. And ProSide with its 25 plus years of experience and wisdom and in conversations with our board and theirs, sees that it's time for our church to step up and fly and bear the burden of our pastor's salary as we probably should have years ago, I'm being honest. So starting in October this month, we as a church together, and I'll talk about this, but we'll be responsible for half of our pastor's salary. Being eased into it, and then in January, we'll be responsible for 100% of our pastor's salary. Now, if anybody's wondering, I'm on staff too, but the vast majority of my salary doesn't come from this church. My salary comes from people who partner with me, individuals who want to see the word of God spread on the campus and in the church in Las Vegas, and who give every month. This church partners with me, but if I can be transparent for a moment, my tithe because I tithe fully, so does my wife. My tithe is more than this church partners with me. Essentially, I pay to come to work. Would any of you pay to go to work this week? No. It's absurd. Because it's not about that. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about advancing his kingdom in a way that lasts forever. It's about making a difference that's beyond ourselves. It's about planting a seed that's going to grow a tree that will last forever. And our hearts are so moved by this church. But what we see in our Paul, Pastor Roland, it might be the grace of God that he's not here today because now I can talk about it. What I see in that man's integrity, what I see in his sacrifice, you want to know why we didn't have drums today? It's not, we're not an anti-percussion church, guests. He was going to play the drums. This man has blessed me as my pastor. And by God, I'm going to use what I have to bless him. We as a household will use what we have. So I'm asking you to prayerfully consider how you're going to rise up with us. So we as a church and bless our pastor and his family and further the kingdom of God's agenda through this church. But we can do that knowing that it doesn't stop there. That our giving is part of the process. Everybody, everybody's included in this again now. It's part of the process of learning to sacrifice and be like Jesus. Because if we'll sacrifice and be like Jesus in the many ways that we need to sacrifice and be like Jesus, which includes giving, then we will also be like Jesus in his victory. 
And that is when we will start to receive and experience the promises of God in our lives and through our lives. God wants to use our giving to bring his plan, his power, and his purpose to us and through us. So let's go on this journey together as we consider what it looks like to sacrifice in this season of our lives, knowing with full confidence what God is going to do through that. Would you join me as we pray? God, thank you. Thank you for where you've brought this church. Thank you for where you're bringing this church. Thank you for Pastor Roland and Vilma and Zachary and Zion and their extended family for the blessing that they've been to us. God, I pray that you would provide for every need of theirs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And I lift my hand and say, here I am, use me. Lord, use me to be a part of what you're doing through this church. For those of us who are here with hearts available to you, use us in the way that we can be used in this season to be part of your plan in this kingdom. And I pray, my God, that every promise of yours would be fulfilled in this church. Not because it's about what we get, but because you're good. Because you're a good, 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 good father. 